You'll be receiving booklet number three. This is the last in the series of Back to the Bible booklets that one can use to bring someone uh, to Christ. As we're getting these passed out, let me make just a couple remarks before we get started on lesson three. First, um, going back to lesson two in worship, let's remember uh, we were talking about worshiping and singing. We used the example of Noah and God's instructions to Noah to help us to see God's instructions to us in regard to singing in worship. And I think it's a good comparison. And we were able to see that God told him specifically uh, how to build the ark and to use uh, a particular kind of wood. But first he said use wood, not mud and not metal. And then he said a particular kind of wood, which would be gopher wood. When God specifies, then we don't generalize. We just simply do what he says. But also remember this, and I should have, I should have mentioned this uh, already. But then where God does not specify, he allows some freedom of choice. Some common sense freedom. So, of course, Noah and his sons, as they were building the ark, could choose what tools they would use in order to get the work done. They they didn't have a choice on wood. They didn't have a choice on the kind of wood. But as far as what tools were at their disposal and how to get that built according to the specifications of what God spells out there to Noah in Genesis 6, what tools they used, how to get that done, they were left uh, with some freedom. So with us, when it comes to worship, and especially the singing, there are three types of music. There is mechanical instrument of music, that's one type. There is singing, that's another type. And then a third type is to sing and use mechanical music. Now God chose one of those three for uh, worshiping him. He chose the singing. Very specific. But as far as how to get that done, he left us some freedom. We can use songbooks, or we can project them up on the wall or use a monitor like we have now. We can use the computers to bring them on the monitors or... You know, the church survived a long time without monitors, right? And we can do it without it. The church uh, survived a long time without songbooks. The church survived a long time and worshiped just as faithful and as true without pitch pipes. But the pitch pipes and the wall projections and the songbooks are all tools uh, to get done what God wants us uh, to get done. So I, I should have thrown that in because that's always an interesting uh, 
subject or an interesting part of that discussion as well. Back to the Bible. Back to the Bible. I like these booklets, and, and this is not the only booklets that's ever been called Back to the Bible. I think that phrase ought to be used a lot. Why would you call it Back uh, to the Bible? Well, because God went to a lot of effort, and his plan was that Jesus' teaching of the apostles fellowship with the apostles, plus the sending of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles, would bring to them, John 16, 13, every bit of the truth. Every bit of it. All in a package delivered there in the first century. And so that means that anything outside of that truth is going to lead us into error. So we've got to call men back to the Bible, back to the New Testament times, back to the old Jerusalem gospel. In 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1, Paul predicts that in these latter times men shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. It seems like there the doctrines of demons are just simply the devil leading men or tempting men to go astray from Scripture. And when that happens, we must call all of us back uh, to Scripture, back to the Bible. And the theme is good for any of us, all of us, even those of us who have been sitting in church pews for a long time. Oftentimes, we, we let these things go, these, these basic teachings, these foundational teachings are not second nature to us anymore, where at one time we could just roll them off of our tongues they're at the forefront of our minds, but sometimes we let these things slip. And we need to be called back to the Bible as well. So we're starting Lesson 3 uh, this evening. I say we're starting this. We don't intend to get through. This is a very important part of our study. I don't want to rush through this. And so we will take back up in about two weeks from tonight. Next Sunday evening, we'll have a, a guest, a Caleb Colquitt, will come and speak of his recent trip overseas uh, and bring us up to date because we helped him uh, financially on that trip. But two weeks from tonight, Lord willing, we will uh, try to finish up book three and then go from there. So let's start. Again, we're going to have some help with our reading of Scripture, and we're looking forward uh, to that. We will get down to um, about... I'd say halfway through the booklet where it talks about the justice of God. We're going to start out with our spiritual condition. What is our spiritual uh, condition uh, before God? So this gets us right here. So if you'll turn over in your red book to uh, Isaiah 59 and verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, this will get us started in our first Discussion will be our spiritual condition uh, before God. So I believe Zach is down to read Isaiah 59. One. Sam is stepping in for Zach. Sam will read Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Okay. Uh, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. All right. 
So the question, the fill in the blank that goes along with this verse is, your what have hid his face from you? Your sins have hid his face from you. This allows us to see our spiritual condition. Sin separates us uh, from God. Preachers from um, a couple generations ago used to put four squares on a board in front of you and said you're either in one of these squares. Uh, If you're a baby or a little child, you're in a safe condition. So one of those squares would be labeled safe. And then the other square would be labeled lost because you've gotten old enough now to where you recognize that you, you do wrong things and you do wrong things before God. You sin. And so one of the squares would be labeled lost. And then one of the squares would be labeled uh, saved because you have submitted to the Lord's instructions and come in contact with the blood of Jesus. And then the last square uh, would be entitled unfaithful because uh, somehow drifted away. But it's important for us to notice and whoever we may be sitting down with, to talk about what is your personal spiritual condition before God. Not talk about, well, this church and that church and what this church does and that church does. Don't let, if you're sitting with somebody at a table, that's not your discussion. This is not time for that. It's hardly ever time for that. But when you're sitting down with someone, we are squarely on a personal condition before God. Okay? Don't, don't, don't drift away from that. And put yourself in there as well. Okay? What is our spiritual condition before God? Sin is the problem. Sin is the problem. Another verse you might add in there is Psalm 66 and verse 18 where it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66, 18. It goes right along with Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. So be sure to you want to have an extra passage there. Okay. So our spiritual uh, condition. Next verse is uh, 1 John uh, 3 and verse 4. I think we're just going to refer to that one. John says, uh, Whosoever commits sin uh, transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So now if, if sin is the problem, then what is sin? So the answer to this is what? That's right. Sin is the transgression of the law. Some translations have lawlessness here. Lawlessness. This is important, and this is why in book one, and in most any Bible study you're doing, you want to start with the authority of Christ and see how that the authority of Christ is now in the New Testament. And once you establish that standard, then it's easy to see this verse... Because when we don't do, or we go against that standard of New Testament, God's law, then we become transgressors. Okay? Sin is lawlessness or transgression of the law. Okay. Alright. Next verse is James chapter 1, and verses uh, 14 and 15. Who's got that one, Ben? But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Okay. So according to this passage, man is tempted when he does what? 
Okay, when man is drawn away of his own lust, uh, he is tempted. He is tempted. Okay. And then further, when lust has conceived, conceived it brings forth what? Brings forth sin. Okay. In other words, the first passage tells us what is sin. Well, sin is a transgression of the law of God. This passage tells us that when our lust overcomes us, we sin. Now, another verse you might want to add here is 1 John 2, 15 and 16. The things that are in the world are not of God. And if we follow the things of the world, the love of God is not in us. He's not in us. And then John says, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay. That's what James is talking about here. Okay. When we are drawn away of our own lust, whether it's lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, or pride, then when that overcomes us, then we sin. Okay. We've all been, been there. Okay. All right. Next passage. James 4 and um, verse number 17. I think we just referred to this one as well. This is a short one. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him uh, it is sin. And so the simple uh, answers uh, here as well. Notice he says, if one knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is what? Okay, it is sin. And then this personal question, have you ever failed to do what you knew was right? Have you ever been guilty of James 4.17? We all have. Knowing that we ought to do something and failing to do it is something that in is sin uh, to us. Another thing I might add here is to always remember, and this kind of comes up in our past booklets, book one and book two, but anytime we disrespect what God says, then that also is sin. Just another way of saying the same thing. Like when in Genesis 2, when they were not to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay, that was forbidden, and yet they did it anyway. They didn't respect what God said. And the, and the devil was in the mix there, I know, but they didn't respect what God said, and they, they did it anyway. That's sin. When God tells Jonah to know, go to Nineveh, and what does he do? He goes the opposite direction. He fails to do what God tells him to do, then that is, of course, sin. So anytime we disrespect what God says, uh, that is sin as well. Okay? All right. Let's read now from Romans chapter uh, 3. In verse number uh, 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So how many are righteous according to this verse? How many are righteous according to this verse? This is, this is like a class. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how many have sinned? All have sinned. Does this include you? 
includes all of us. It's very important as we're sitting down with someone to let them know that we're all in the same boat. We're all in the very same boat. And the very things that God would ask of them, He asked of me. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. A passage to add there might be 1 John 5, 19, where John says, We know that we are of God, but we also know that the whole world lies in wickedness. The whole world is under the power of the wicked one, who is Satan. And so the Bible teaches again and again that all have uh, sin. Next passage is Romans uh, 6 and verse uh, 23. And I believe uh, Bryant has that one. Go ahead, Bryant. For the wages of sin is death, but the the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's answer the question here. The wages of sin is what? Death. How many sins must one commit to be separated from God and end up with the wages of sin? One would be correct. Only one sin. Only one sin. So we're all in the same boat. Hebrews 12, 1 the encouragement there is, let us run the race with endurance, with patience, and let us lay aside the sin that does so easily beset us, the sin. There was one particular sin that, that the apostle was aiming at among uh, the writings of the Hebrews, and that was the temptation to go back to the old law of Moses and try to be justified by that law. So it just takes one uh, sin. Also on the consequences of sin, notice this from 1 Corinthians uh, 6, uh, verses 9 and 10. Who's got that one? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, Andrew. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, or adulterers, or homosexuals, no cements, nor thieves, no convenience, or no drunkards, no revealers, no extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. All right. Thank you very much. So notice this, the consequences of sin, and notice this question that goes along with this, will the unrighteous inherit the kingdom of God? No. Plainly said there. Also, going back... Uh, well, can't go back. But if you go back to Romans 6 and uh, 23, notice the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you don't have the gift of God, eternal life, you have the wages of sin, which is eternal death. And then notice in that passage that Andrew just read for us, 1 Corinthians 6, that if we are involved in these various sins, then we will not be able, be able to inherit the kingdom of God. And now notice this from Matthew chapter 13, still talking about the uh, consequences of sin. Uh, notice this from Matthew 13, 40 to 42. And, go ahead. 
Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of, out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness. Okay. Read that again. Let's read that one again. You reading from Matthew? Yeah, I think I just missed 42. Okay. Let's read it again. Matthew 13, 40 to 42. 13, 40 42. I think I just didn't read the 42. Okay. Okay. Uh, and we'll cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Okay. Let's read the whole thing. <laughs> Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the fi- furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. All right. So, with this passage, notice this fill in the blank here. At the end of the world, sinners will be what? Right, they'll be burned. They'll be burned. These consequences of sin, notice that there is an eternal consequence uh, to this sin. There's an eternal consequence. But as we said before, sin is the problem. When it comes to our walk with God, sin is the problem. And as you know, and this might be something to talk about, if you're sitting with someone, it's just according to you. But sin has a huge impact. It, it has a physical impact. Okay. Romans 5 verse 12. Through one man sin entered into the world. And death through sin. Physical death is here because of sin. Okay. There's also an emotional impact from sin. Uh, you might write down Titus chapter 1, 15 and 16. It talks about how that because of sin, our own conscience and our mind can be defiled. We're looking for that good conscience. The only way, have, only way to have a good conscience and to be emotionally settled with God is to know that you know that you're doing what God wants you to do. And so there's an emotional uh, impact as well. So the eternal consequence of sin. There's a physical consequence of sin that we all experience here on earth, death. There's an emotional consequence of sin that we all deal with as well. But I would even say, if you want to write down Romans 8.22, that there's an environmental uh, impact from sin. Because this whole creation groans. It's, it's because of sin that you had the flood years and years ago in Noah's day. It's because of sin that the environment causes so many uh, uh, tragic events, storms and so forth. The whole creation is groaning because of sin. There's an environmental impact. But mostly, remember, there's a spiritual impact. Ephesians 2, in the first few verses there, talks about how that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And when we read the word dead, we think of separation, going back to that first 
uh, slide that we had earlier. The spiritual condition. So there's a spiritual impact. So it's just, it's all across the board, but the big thing is sin is, is the problem. Sin is the culprit. As a physical, emotional, environmental, spiritual, and eternal consequence. And so I guess what I'm saying to you is, don't just rush through uh, this particular booklet, because this has to be impressed upon the one you are trying to lead to Christ, that, that, that sin has such an impact. And it is the biggest problem. When we were uh, going through the Fishers of Men campaigns uh, years ago, one of the questions that we were to ask just strangers was, you know, what do you think is the biggest problem in the world? And you get a lot of answers to that. And it's very interesting. But then the reason you answer, ask that is so that you can talk about, eventually talk to them about sin, sin being the biggest problem. All right. So that's Matthew 13, 40 uh, through 42. Now let's move on to Revelation uh, 15 and talk about uh, not just the consequences of sin, but God's justice uh, as well. So Revelation uh, chapter 15, verse 3, and I'm going to read that one. It says, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, uh, thou uh, King of Saints. So notice, is God just or is He righteous? Is that yes or no? Yes. If a judge refused to sentence uh, convicted criminals, would he be just or righteous? And then this question, does righteousness demand that a judge sentence convicted criminals? So if God is the judge and we have sinned, we are the criminals, and God is righteous and just, and he must punish. He must punish. It's part of his very nature that he must do that. Let's read also uh, Romans chapter 2, and verses um, 6 and 11. 6 and 11. Who's got those? Go ahead, James. Verse 6, who will render to each one according to his deeds. And verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. Okay. Notice this, the first question comes from verse 11 of Romans 2. We're talking about God's justice here. The first passage from Revelation 15 says God is just and righteous in his dealings. But notice also here the question, uh, is there respect to persons or is there partiality with God? Okay, there is not. And... The question from Romans 2, verse 6. Who will render uh, judgment to every man? Will God render uh, to every man according to his works? Yes. So God will judge everybody on an equal basis according to their works. According to how they have responded uh, to his will and to his, to his love. 
Now let's read from Revelation chapter uh, number 20, still speaking of God's justice. And this will be verses 12 to 15, Revelation 20, 12 to 15. And um, who's got that? And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death of he- and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay, thank you very much, John. So, question here. The dead were judged according to their what? According to their works. Whosoever, uh, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into what? Lake of fire. This coincides earlier what Jesus said in Matthew 13 that uh, there will be um, those who will be burned and there will be the welling and gnashing of, of teeth. But notice both of these passages emphasize God will judge us according to our works. Okay. A, a side verse there might be 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. To, to receive the things done in our bodies, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Okay. Uh, you might also recall Galatians 6, uh, 7 through 9. God is not mocked, for whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the Spirit of God shall from the Spirit reap every eternal life. God's going to judge us according to what we sow. God's going to judge us according to what we do in our bodies, time on earth. Or in other words, God will judge us according to our works as these passages uh, bring out. But that's not all there is to the justice of God. So we need to keep reading. So now let's read uh, from 2 Peter 3 and verse number 9. 2 Peter 3, 9, this is Andrew again. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that should come to repentance. Thank you very much. So here is the question. Is it God's will that you be lost eternally? That's a big no. That's a big part of God's justice. He doesn't want us to be lost. He must judge us. He must point out that we have sinned. He has brought us His will, the standard of righteousness. But He doesn't want us to be lost. And He proves that again and again. Second Peter 3 verse 9 brings that out. Also, a, a related passage there would be 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as He will render judgment to every man, God's heart is He wants everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth and to be saved. So that's also part of the justice 
of God. But we're not through with the justice of God. Notice here in Romans 5 and uh, verse 8 uh, what is said about the justice of God. Let's read Romans 5 verses uh, 8 and 9 together. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Thank you. Now, also part of God's justice is not only does he desire for us to be saved, but look what he's done. He has shown us his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So did Jesus die for sinners? Yes. Was the death of Jesus on the cross an act of God's love for us? So, as we're talking to someone about coming to Christ and getting their spiritual condition correct before God, you want to emphasize this just as much as as we emphasize how tragic sin is. Just as much as we emphasize um, the great impact, the terrible impact that sin has had on this world, So we want to take some time here and emphasize how much God loves us. He has proven that love. Galatians 1 verse 4, uh, Christ gave himself for us that he might deliver us from from this present uh, evil world. Uh, You might uh, easily bring up John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Anything you can think of to to impress upon the, the one you're speaking with uh, about uh, God's love, His justice, that part of His justice. You know, Romans 11, um, 22 it, uh, talks about both the, the goodness and the severity of God. And you want to bring that out. Okay? It doesn't need to be one-sided. The goodness and the severity of God makes up the nature of God. And let's see if there needs to be an additional reading. Yeah, we're going to read again uh, Romans. Um, we'll, we'll get to uh, Romans. Notice he, he emphasizes Romans 5, verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved uh, from wrath uh, through him. So can we be justified by the blood of Jesus? Okay, it's very possible to be justified by the blood of Jesus. A... Uh, Correlating verse there might be Colossians 1, 19 and 20, where uh, peace is made through the blood of the cross. God makes peace with man through the blood of the cross. So uh, how you obtain a relationship with Jesus and what he's done on the cross, uh, that's, that becomes very important. God's justice. But also part of God's justice justice is man's response. So Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 is our next reading. Hebrews 5, verses uh, 8 and 9. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Okay. So notice uh, these questions uh, related to Hebrews 5. Jesus being the author of eternal salvation. Is Jesus the author of eternal salvation to those who obey him? It sounds like a simple question, but then the reverse of that is, what is the condition of those who do not obey? 
So that's a reality uh, as well. And then this personal question, will you be saved if you do not obey uh, Jesus? If he is the author of eternal salvation to those who obey, then will you be saved if you do not obey? Right. When you are speaking with someone or, or sitting down with someone at a table, these, this is when there's a lot of silence. Right. Don't break that silence. That, that silence is needed because the, the reality is, is sinking in that you, you may not be right with God. And so don't, don't say anything. Just let the silence be. Let it, let it float there for a few minutes before you move on. Or if you want to break the silence, you might relate uh, when you first started learning the truth and learned the reality that you were lost. Okay, but don't dwell on that very long. But uh, just, just encourage the, the meditation. Encourage the, the thought. Uh, that might be taking place there. And then Matthew 7 also, God's justice um, not only involves his judgment, his right to judge, he's a righteous judge, judge. Not only involves his desire to see us saved, but that also involves his love and the death of Jesus on the cross and it involves our submission and response to this. And Jesus himself brings this up, so let's read Matthew 7, uh, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is Jesus' own words, and he is setting up a scene here of Judgment Day, and he is predicting that this will happen. Many will come to him and say, Lord, I did believe in you. Lord, I did do things for you. But the problem is they had not been consistent in that obedience. Obedience to Christ is not a one-time act. It's not, obedience to Christ is not a segment of our life being obedient to Christ. Or a, in a particular stage of our life we were obedient to Christ. But it's a consistent obedience all the way down through life. Revelation 2, uh, 10. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Okay. And so Jesus is talking here about true obedience. And the question is, will Jesus save all those who call upon his name? So, no. What, what part of the verse tells us that Jesus will not save all those who call upon his name? Which part of the verse tells us that? Where Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, see that's calling on his name. So you might want to point that out. Not everyone who calls on his name. Not everyone who is religious. Not everyone has, who has a favor toward Christ will necessarily be saved. 
So will Jesus save all those who call upon His name? No, not necessarily. Will these believers be lost? That, that has to be a yes as well. Because the ones Jesus is talking about there, what He's predicting are those who were believers, who had been believers, who had, who had been involved in good works, very good works, but not consistent. Therefore, He would say to them on that day, Depart from me, you that work lawlessness, you that work uh, iniquity, you would need to depart from me. We don't want to ever hear those words. The words we want to hear is what we reflected upon this morning, Matthew 25, 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the words we want to hear. You might talk like that to the one across the kitchen table there and just say, those are the words you want to hear. You don't want to hear ever, don't want to hear God say, depart from me. Those will be the scariest words. Uh, to ever hear. So these believers were lost. According to verse 21, what must one do to go to heaven? You have to do the will of the Father. A companion verse there is uh, Luke six forty-six, where Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, Luke six forty-six? And do not the things that I say. And also, First uh, Peter 1 and 22, Seeing then that you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently. And so it begins with that obedience uh, to the truth. And so this is as far as we're going to go uh, this evening. The next part... Uh, begins to reflect upon the conditions, the specific conditions that God requires in our response uh, to His justice and to His love. The beginnings of that response uh, are reflected upon here in our booklet, Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. We are to obey Him. Matthew 7, we are to do the will of the Father. Just because we're going to save um, the, the specific conditions of salvation uh, till later as we go through this booklet uh, together doesn't mean we won't mention uh, these tonight. Let me do it like this. Certain times as we read through the book of Acts, we find this question being asked, what must I do to be saved? The jailer asked it at 16 and verse 30. The people listening to Peter on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 37, said, what must we do? Saul of Tarsus, even, as Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, said, Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? He was told to go on into the city. And there it will be told you what you must do. So for three days, Saul prayed and prayed and prayed. He was so earnest, sincere, regretful of being against in, in opposition to God, he didn't eat anything in three days. And he was waiting and waiting. Finally, the gospel preacher Ananias came along and said, Saul, why do you tarry? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. 
Very similar to that, Peter responds in Acts 2, Repent ye and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what we want to express to the world is that we're not making these things up. This is not our opinion. This is just a simple reading of God's will from uh, the New Testament. And it might be that there are individuals here this evening that uh, have been studying, been reflecting. You're at the point now of wanting to turn your life over to Christ. You believe in Jesus, the Son of God. You're convinced that, that you're in sin, that uh, you need to complete your obedience, and that you want to do that before it, it's too late. Uh, just because we're going to finish up book three two weeks from now doesn't mean the world's going to be standing two weeks from, from now. The world may not be standing two hours from now. We just don't know. So if you're at the point of obeying the gospel, we want to encourage you this evening. Won't you make that known to us right now as we stand together, as we sing for the church?